Here we are again. The cold wooden floor is my seat of choice. My lower back and knees start to ache only about 30 minutes in. The cold sweat keeps making my feet slide away from me on the slick floor and I keep jerking them back to my body. Already a crick begins to settle in my neck from the tension of stretching it up to see over my bed that is between the window and eye. There is a red irritation on the inside of each bicep from wrapping my arms around my knees and pulling them into my chest. Worst of all, my eyes. My eyes are dry, and I feel like they are on fire. They look like a red lightning storm is raging on my pupils. As I count down, I get so excited when I get to one so that I can blink and get that millisecond of relief. After a while, blinking makes my eyes burn even worse. Three, two, one, blink. There he is. Same spot as last night. His head cocks so much to his left that his face is almost upside down. Jet black, medium length hair that dangles from the contortion of his head and blows slightly in the wind and rain. He boasts the same outfit, a black sports jacket and a white v-neck underneath. The jacket has a few rips and tears, while the white shirt has turned almost to a rust color with black and red smudges in it. His eyes were solid black, so much so that I wasn't sure if they were always open or always watching or always closed. Not sure if they were empty voids in the place of big, beautiful eyes, or if they had seemed that way from the dark distance. Finally, his big, unwavering smile. Not quite the ever-famously referred to Chelsea smile. His top and bottom rows of teeth didn't touch, allowing me to see the black pit in his mouth. I always expected to see something crawl out of there, but I never did. He never moved an inch as long as I watched him. Three, two, one, blink. He's still there, of course, still stiff as a board, but his hands are now flat up against my window. His aberrant, long, pointy fingers seem to span the width of the window. He's waiting waiting for me to close my eyes or look away for just a second. This had become somewhat of a routine for me at this point. I have played this game with him many nights. I had a system. When the countdown ended, I could blink. I would click on the flashlight, shining it right at him simultaneously to my eyes blinking. When I opened my eyes, I would quickly turn it back off. I'm not sure why but this kept him from moving. Maybe he thought the light meant someone was still watching him. It worked, so I really didn't care why it did. Three, two, one, blink. When I opened my eyes and clicked off my flashlight, I see he is still there, still in the exact same position, but with a slight difference. The tips of his fingers were bowed in so that his needle-like fingertips 
were making scratching motion against the window. Not bad. He doesn't seem as aggressive as other knights. But then I noticed ten hairline fractures in the glass. He had moved more than I thought. He is making his move to get in. My eyes are starting to fade in what was already a dark room. They are getting heavy. I don't know how much longer I can stay awake. My lids are fluttering so much. It's like watching an old film, watching him fade in, slowly, out of frame. My voice is starting to tremble as I count down and my hands begin to rattle the flashlight. This is no time for a panic. This game has rules. I have a system. As long as I play by the rules and remain vigilant, I can live to play another day. I will not lose tonight. Three, two, one. Black. Black. I have closed my eyes. I realized after what seemed like a mere two seconds, but I couldn't be sure. My flashlight was laying on the wood floor next to me. I'm staring at an empty window. He's gone. Damn it. Where did he go? I could see where he had huffed his warm breath against the thin, transparent panel. The cracks in the glass were still there, but the window was intact, so at least I knew he isn't in the room with me. Even if I drifted off to sleep for a second, I'm awake now. My body feels like it's both been set aflame and buried with ice. I feel so numb that I can't move. My wide eyes begin to tear up, setting my tortured and dried eye ablaze. My teeth grit. The strain is proving too much for my head. It's throbbing. I want to cry out, but I can't. I keep my eyes open, fixed on the window. Being able to see him there had been some source of comfort, but now he's gone. Where is he? I bring up my shaking hands to bury my eyes into them, rubbing them dry. For a second, I can't see. Click. My flashlight moves across the floor, towards the door leading to the hallway. It's cracked open just slightly, not enough to even see through the crack. I keep it fixated on the door, waiting for it to open more, but nothing happens. I quickly shoot my eyes back to the window. Maybe he was trying to distract me. I shoot my light back to the door and... Ah, but there. The familiar needle-tipped fingers had slithered in from the other side of the slightly open bedroom door. I watch his almost glowing pale fingers start to fade as my eyes begin to shut. I've lost. Tonight is the last game. I inhale deeply, turn off my flashlight, and set it on the floor next to me. I let the tension in my neck go and let my head fall back against the wall. I knew it was all over, but I had a system to stick by. So for the last time, three, two. <laughs> Ooh, ha, 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 ha.
welcome. It's a Tim takeover today on this episode. Woo, that first story. That'll give me nightmares any night. That was Blink by Blake Rogers. This one's going to be very short. It's just me today, but I got one more story for you just before I read it to you. Don't forget, if you have any stories, email it at scarynotscarypodcast at gmail.com. Visit the website, scarynotscarypodcast.com. Follow us on social media, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, if you want to be notified when we have our live episodes. This next story is going to be The Seer of Possibilities by Thomas O. Sometimes otherworldly beings find interesting ways to try and contact you. They might use a Ouija board or maybe come to you in a dream. Or sometimes they speak through another person. They each have their own style and preference that's particular to them. The one who contacted Jack spoke to him through his computer, or I guess you could say the communication was through on-screen text. The first time it happened, Jack had been sitting at his computer playing solitaire. A blinking red light from the router indicated that his internet connection was down again. This was at least a weekly occurrence, and Jack was getting used to this spotty internet service. As he moved his cards, the game faded into a solid black screen, and the red text appeared. Hi, Jack. I need a favor from you. You're a very special person, and I know you'll help me. I can't ask this of just anyone. I really need your help. Jack paused for a second. The router light was still blinking red. Is this some sort of joke? He couldn't help but wondering. Several moments later, the message continued. Yes, Jack. I know this is weird for you, but I don't want you to worry. This is just a small, easy favor I need. I'll make sure you're rewarded. Now, nearly in a panic, Jack reached around and pulled the internet cable completely from the wall. Still here, Jack. I don't want to waste any more of your time, so I'll get right to what I need. Tomorrow, when you go to work, I need you to move the large potted plant that's next to the elevator on the ground floor. All you have to do is pull it out three inches from the wall. If you do it at 8.17 a.m., no one else will be in the area. Jack sat there, refusing to respond, still trying to figure out what was happening. The writing continued. Look, Jack, I'm asking you because I know you'll do it. You won't let me down. You're special. We'll talk tomorrow. Jack pulled the power cable from the wall, and the computer went blank. Did that really just happen? He thought. Still shaking from the experience, he took a warm shower and got ready for bed, convincing himself that he'd either had some crazy dream or that this is just some elaborate joke. But who would play that kind of joke on him? He didn't really have friends or enemies. He woke up the next morning feeling refreshed, 
Work would start at 8.30 a.m. and Jack was never late. He pulled into the parking lot at 8.10 a.m. Normally, he'd just go right in, but the message had told him to move the plant at 8.17 a.m. Was he really going to do it? Overnight, Jack's fear had turned into curiosity. Let's say he moved the plant. He wouldn't be doing anything wrong or illegal, right? In Jack's mind, the most reasonable course of action was to move the plant. He'd do it, nothing would happen, and he'd be able to put this whole crazy matter behind him. One minute before 8.17, Jack left his car and walked towards the building. He entered the foyer at the exact time he was supposed to. The message was right. Nobody else was around. Odd, Jack thought. The building was normally busy this time of the morning, but this temporary lull had been accurately predicted. Fine, let's see what happens, Jack muttered to himself. He walked up to the large potted plant placed firmly between the two elevators in the lobby of the 10-story building. The plant looked like it was a fake, a decoration people passed every day without really noticing. It was heavier than Jack realized. He put some might into his effort and pulled the plant out three inches to his best estimate. He stood back and looked at the plant, then looked around the lobby. People were coming in behind him now, and the lobby was starting to fill up again. Nobody seemed to notice that the plant was in a slightly different location. Nothing seemed different at all. Jack skipped the next elevator and waited. Waited for something, but nothing happened. Finally, Jack entered the elevator and made it to his seventh floor cubicle, on time like always. If you ever asked Jack's co-workers to describe him, you'd hear words like polite, quiet, respectful, and competent. And while those words were all accurate, they gave little indication of the truth. The truth that Jack really didn't like most people. That's not to say he disliked them, just that he had very little interest in getting to know them or being their friend, save for one. Allie, the girl who sat two cubicles down from him, was the only person he wanted to know more about. With her big smile, blonde hair, and beautiful figure, Jack was very interested in learning all about her. Despite his lack of success with women in the past, he was actually doing a fair job getting to know her. Every morning, as he passed her cubicle, he'd stop for a chat. The chats were one minute at first, then two minutes, then several minutes. Jack was surprised that she actually seemed to like him. On this particular morning, their daily conversation lasted only a couple of minutes. As they exchanged their morning greetings and talked about Ali's wild night out, the elevator doors opened up behind them. Out hobbled James Bentley, the boss of both Jack and Allie. James' loud complaining could be heard throughout the office. My damn foot! W what happened, James? Came the mumbled queries. It's that damn plant they have in the lobby. I ran right into it and twisted my ankle. James, you can barely walk. You need to go to the hospital, came Allie's concerned reply. Can't do it now. I have meetings all day. 
Too important to cancel. I'll just have to tough it out. Jack, feeling stunned, left Allie's cubicle mid-conversation and sunk down into his chair. It was his fault. He was sure of it. How could he have been so stupid and careless? Still, no use in worrying about it now. A twisted ankle would heal. Everything would be all right. Upon his return home, Jack went immediately to his computer and turned it on. As soon as the computer booted up, the screen went black and a new message popped up. How was your day, Jack? He sat there, staring at the screen, not knowing how to answer. The message on the screen continued. Actually, I know how your day was, but never let it be said that I'm not polite. You're wondering what's going on. You want to know why James Bentley had to twist his ankle. Well, Jack, this chain of events isn't done playing out. I don't want to tell you too much too soon, but this will all make sense to you in a short order. Just go to work tomorrow like you normally do. Don't worry about a thing, Jack. You'll be rewarded. You're special. Talk to you tomorrow. Jack sat back in his chair. What was going on? Who was this sending him messages? Jack's curiosity was fully engaged, and he was almost a bit excited to see what would happen next. The next morning at work started off as any ordinary day. Jack noticed the plant had been pushed back fully against the wall, probably by the night cleaning crew. James Bentley showed up shortly after lunch, hobbling into the office on his one good foot. Man, this foot is killing me, Jack could overhear him say. But apparently James still had a meeting he didn't want to miss. It wasn't until around three o'clock Jack saw him again. James, who always seemed to prefer Allie over others, came limping up to her cubicle. Allie, you're not doing anything right now, are you? Um, no. Nothing that can't wait till tomorrow, I guess. Good. Could you please drive me to see my doctor? I probably should have gone yesterday, but I just couldn't get away. This pain is killing me right now, and I don't think I can drive myself. I barely made it here this morning, and I don't think I can even push the gas pedal right now. We can take my car if you want. Yeah, that's fine, James. I don't have a problem taking you. Turning to Jack, she said her goodbye. See you tomorrow, Jackie. She put on her coat and slowly followed James as he struggled down the hallway. She gave a half turn and a shrug in Jack's direction with a little smile as she walked away. Jack felt even lonelier than normal when she was gone. It was ten minutes later that they all heard the crash. It was preceded by the loud horn of an 18-wheeler and screeching brakes. The collision itself was a sickening thud of two large metal objects colliding. Even on the seventh floor, it was loud. The office workers gasped and ran to the windows. Is that James's car? Hard to tell from up here, someone responded. It's so banged up. The horrifying implication of what had just happened came to Jack immediately. No, 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 he thought. This can't be true. Shaking all the way, he ran to the elevator 
and went to the ground floor along with several others from the office. Some of them were crying. As they joined the growing crowd around the scene of the accident, Jack could hear the far-off sound of emergency sirens. Looking past the gawkers, he could see that the 18-wheeler had hit James's car broadside. Its driver had been thrown out onto the pavement where he lay motionless. James was sitting in the passenger seat of the car, motionless, but with a surprised look on his bloody face. Jack couldn't tell if he was alive or dead. The driver's side, where Allie was seated, had taken the hit. The space she had been occupying had been compacted to a third of its original size. Allie's head was smashed open and her twisted body was broken and battered. The crowd was stunned. Tears, screams, sirens. That was all Jack could hear. Without going back inside the building, Jack ran to his car and drove home, angry and sad. He made the journey home to his computer. There the machine sat. He wanted to turn it on, but was afraid of what he'd find out. Was he really the one responsible for Allie's death? The whole chain of events had started with him. He knew he was to blame. Jack reached for the power button and then pulled his hand back. Finally, after several minutes, he found the mental strength to turn it on. The screen flickered and then went black, and the familiar text started appearing on the screen. No, Jack. It's not your fault. I know you're blaming yourself, but all people die eventually. Some just sooner than others. Jack stared at the screen. He resisted the urge to throw the monitor to the ground. After a moment, the writing continued. Jack, I'm going to tell you something, and I really need you to seriously consider everything I'm about to say. You thought you were in love with Allie. The truth is, you just wanted to screw her. And please, excuse my language, but every once in a great while, it's best to be blunt. Jack, she wasn't the one for you. She would have made your life miserable. Yes, you would have eventually found the courage to ask her out. She actually was interested in you. She thought you'd make a good project. Sad, really, for her, not for you. I want you to think back to all the things she's told you. Why did her last boyfriend break up with her? Because she cheated on him, Jack mumbled under his breath. Because she cheated on him, Jack. The same thing she would have done to you. She would have made you happy for about two months and then miserable for the next four years. Sneaking around, laughing at you behind your back, spending all your money. Once you finally got rid of her, you would have been so jaded that you'd never date again. This is true, Jack. I see all future possibilities, the ones that come to pass and the ones that don't. You've seen how she really is, Jack, but you let your lust for her blind you to the truth. Together, you and I have made sure you avoided that path. One more thing, Jack. This isn't done playing out yet. 
there is more to come. No! Fuck you! You killed her! Jack screamed and threw the monitor from the desk. It landed on the floor and sparked out. Jack barely got any sleep that night, and the next day he wasn't sure he wanted to go to work. But the last words he'd been told had piqued his curiosity, and his anger had somewhat subsided. No work was done that day at the office. The company brought in grief counselors. People shared their thoughts. They cried. They hugged. James had actually survived the accident, but was in a coma. The doctors thought he might recover eventually, but nobody was really sure. Late in the afternoon, Jack was approached by Diego Salbara, the head of the division. Diego was blunt and upfront, and he offered James's position to Jack. Technically, it would be a temporary promotion, but James wouldn't be back anytime soon. Diego promised him that the promotion would be made permanent once enough time had passed. Let's keep this low-key for now, Diego had told him. I know it might seem quick, but the Lancaster project James was working on can't be stopped. It's too important to the company. I need someone in charge right away. This can't wait. Stunned, Jack accepted the promotion. He left work with a strange mixture of feelings, not really sure how he felt about anything. On his way home, he stopped at the electronics store and bought a new monitor. He made it home and powered up the computer. Once again, the writing came on the screen. Jack, I want to be the first one to congratulate you. I am proud of what you've accomplished. Jack stared at the screen. Jack, I have to ask your forgiveness. Because I haven't introduced myself yet. I'm called the Seer. Like I told you before, I see what will be, and I see what can be. It's a very powerful gift I have. But you know what, Jack? For all my power, I still can't do anything corporeal. I can predict, I can see, and with enough effort, I can even communicate. But I don't have a body. That's something that was taken from me a long, long time ago. That's why I need you, Jack. I'm an artist of sorts, an artist of human manipulation. You'll be my paintbrush and my canvas. I want you to work with me, Jack. It's all very simple. Just perform simple tasks for me from time to time. Jack was becoming more and more curious. And Jack, before you give me an answer, I want you to know a couple of things. First off, I'll never lie to you. Secondly, I'll never ask you to do anything which, taken by itself, is wrong or illegal. Yes, bad things will result, and sometimes... People will die, but they're going to die eventually anyways, right, Jack? And the bad will always be, and the bad will always be balanced out by something good happening to you. Jack winced at the last idea, but he fought the urge to turn the computer off. The seer was right. 
Everyone would die eventually. Why not let something good come out of it? And what about never lying to him? If he'd known at the time that Ali was going to die, he'd have never gone through with the original favor. As he thought more about it, he realized the seer hadn't lied to him, but had only withheld information. Still, Jack wondered if he could trust the seer. Work with me, Jack. Together we'll make incredible things happen. I'm just asking you to perform little tasks from time to time. Oh, but these little tasks will have great consequences. They're going to be beautiful, Jack, and they'll always end with a reward for you. That's the beauty of my art. One single task produces something bad and something good. Oh, uh, one last thing, Jack. I can see you're having trouble with this if I stop talking to you right now. It would take you about two weeks to decide to join me. But you know what, Jack? You would join me. That's right. You're going to say yes. So instead of waiting, why don't you just say yes to me now? Let's get started, Jack. And when all this is over, you're going to thank me. I promise you. Jack considered what the seer had just said. His initial feeling of revolt was slowly fading. He paused, and then for the first time, he placed his fingers on the keyboard and responded directly to the seer. What do you want me to do next? As years passed, Jack did every favor the seer asked of him. And as the seer had promised, Jack was rewarded for his actions each time. The rewards often came in unexpected and interesting ways. One of the more memorable experiences for Jack happened about two years after he first agreed to help the seer. Jack, I need you to go downtown tomorrow, the seer requested. Enter Garmin's Liquor at exactly 12.37 p.m. A man will ask you a question. The answer you're to give him is 27. As always, the seer's instructions were simple and direct, yet mysterious. The next day as requested, Jack entered the store. In front of him, a burly construction worker was at the counter, filling out a lottery playslip. Well, let's see here, said the construction worker. My birthday, that's the 15th. My wife's birthday, that's the 24th. Kids ages 2, 10, and 13. The man scratched his head and looked around, zeroing in on Jack. Hey, buddy, I need another number. You got one for me? Jack smiled. 27. Really? I was thinking about playing 35, but you know what? I like your face. Let's go with 27. With that, the man completed his slip and paid for his lottery ticket. See you, pal, he said, happily, and he patted Jack on the shoulder on his way out of the door. Jack tried not to put any more thought into what would happen to this man. Just let these things play out, Jack. You'll never guess how things end up. So just let yourself be surprised, the seer had advised him. Still, it was impossible not to wonder about these things from time to time. He knew, considering the way the seer had worked, there was no possibility that he'd actually help this man. 
but giving him a losing lottery number, that was too simple for the seer and couldn't imagine he'd actually given him a winning number. So that's just how Jack was surprised when two weeks later, he ran into the same man again, this time at the grocery store. Hey, buddy, it's you. I remember you. Check it out. I won. Indeed, the man looked like a million dollars, wearing new clothes, a new gold watch, and a big, goofy smile. The man walked right up to Jack. I didn't think I'd ever see you again, but I'm glad you're here. I could have never won without you. Hey, uh, let me buy these groceries for you. No, no, wait. That's not good enough for you. You're my good luck charm. Always gotta treat people right. That's what my mom says. Reaching into his pocket, the man removed his checkbook and promptly wrote Jack a check for $10,000. It's the least I could do for my good luck charm. After thanking the man and feeling a bit confused by the whole thing, Jack raced home to his computer. After turning it on, the seer's writing appeared on the screen. Well, Jack, how does it feel to be $10,000 richer? It feels good, but I can't help but wonder. We've never helped anyone before. Why are we starting now? Jack asked that question with a tingle of guilt. He'd never liked to admit that people were being hurt by his actions, but in this case, his curiosity overwhelmed any latent feelings of guilt. Oh, Jack, we haven't helped anyone. Yes, that man is happy now, but he'll have lost every last penny within two years. You saw it for yourself. He just gives money away. Old friends, lost relatives, they're all going to come asking him for money. And there will be some very bad investments as well. The stress of losing everything is going to cause his wife to leave him. She'll take the kids too. He'll be all alone, broke, a ruined man who would have been much better off if he never won. You needn't feel bad, Jack. It's the man's own stupidity and greed that will do this to him. Jack felt some regret, but the seer's rationalizing and focusing on his own reward always put him at peace in the end. Through the years, no two tasks were ever alike. Sometimes the effects of his actions were direct and easy to see. Other times they caused a chain reaction, so complex that he simply couldn't follow it. Go to the county administrator's building. Park in space 43 at 4.47 p.m. Came one such request. Jack did so, and two months later, he met Donna, with whom he fell in love and ended up marrying. He wouldn't have even known the two events were even related if he hadn't asked the seer about it. Jack, when you had parked in that space, you caused the person who would have parked there to park in a different spot. But she bumped the car next to her. She barely made a scratch, but she called her insurance agent anyway, causing him to leave the office late. He missed his train home, and while waiting for the late train, he was mugged and stabbed. He'll never fully recover. 
The muggers took his credit cards and used them. And Jack, I can keep going on with this, but there's another 23 people involved. Sometimes, these favors are going to be very complicated, and let's just say your action ultimately caused Donna to be in the exact right place for you to meet her. Jack's relationship with the seer grew. Though remaining mostly mysterious, the seer divulged enough information over time that Jack could get a generalized understanding of the seer's history. From historical references, Jack knew the seer was thousands of years old. When still alive, the seer had been a powerful fortune teller and artist who foretold future happenings through paintings. A foolish king who misinterpreted the seer's prediction and lost a battle as a result had the seer executed. Unencumbered by physical senses and existing in a lonesome void, the seer's abilities expanded exponentially. Finally, learning to communicate with the living, the seer began reaching out to those who would respond, including Jack. And of course, the seer knew everything about Jack. In all, it was as much of a friendship as one can have with a dead person. And Jack was grateful to the seer too. He had a nice job, a nice house, a beautiful wife, and people respected him. He was happy which was something he never really felt before the seer contacted him. Twelve years in total passed. Twelve good years for Jack. Task after task was completed, usually about one every month. Jack sitting in the office of his large rural house was contacted by the seer once again. Hi, Jack. I have a favor to ask of you. This one's the easiest yet. You don't even have to get up. Call Riago's Pizza in exactly two minutes. Let the phone ring three times. Then you can hang up. Jack smiled, nice and easy. He no longer wondered about how these tasks would play out. He trusted the seer and simply did as he was told. Jack made the call exactly two minutes later. The quietness of the household was broken. Thirty minutes later, by the ringing doorbell. That's odd, Jack thought. Neither he nor Donna were expecting anyone. Jack looked out the peephole and saw a pizza delivery boy. The logo on his cap said, Riago's Pizza. Jack opened the door. Here's your pizza, said the boy as he thrust it into Jack's hand. But I didn't order this, Jack argued. Look, I don't give a damn if you order it or not. Mr. Riago told me to take it here, so that's what I'm doing, the pizza boy argued, as he looked increasingly annoyed and spat in the bushes. Jack looked at the boy in front of him. He looked to be about 17 years old, but the most noticeable thing about him was his size. He was huge, probably about six and a half feet tall and very muscular. It's already paid for by credit card. Just take it, because I'm not driving it back. The pizza boy put out his hand for a tip. I, I don't have any cash on me. Jack told the truth. Whatever, came the disgusted reply. The boy looked past Jack into the house, then turned and walked slowly to his waiting car, looking over his shoulder as he walked. 
Jack closed the door and took the pizza to the living room, where Donna was watching TV. After explaining what happened, he excused himself to go to his office, promising to return shortly. Donna opened the pizza and took a slice. Come back soon, sweetie. This pizza's got all your favorite toppings on it. Donna giggled as she took a bite. Arriving at his computer, the seer's words appeared on the screen. Confused, Jack? Don't be. Your neighbor down the road ordered the pizza. Mr. Viago told that boy the correct address, but a ringing phone made it difficult for him to be heard clearly. Still, give the boy credit. He got the street right at least. So my reward is a pizza? Jack typed, a little confused. Yes, Jack. Your reward is a pizza, and also the chance to spend a little time with your wife. Go down there, share the pizza, enjoy it. When you're done, make love to Donna. That's not one of your tasks, but that's just some advice I think you should follow. Oh, by the way, your neighbors who ordered the pizza are arguing right now over the silly fact that the pizza didn't arrive. Some of the things people argue over amazes me. They really do. Their fight is going to get very heated. But you don't need to worry about that. Go enjoy your night. Jack followed the seer's advice, cuddled with Donna as they enjoyed their meal, then made love to her on their big comfortable living room couch. Donna fell asleep on the couch shortly after 11 p.m. Jack lay there awake. This latest favor, it just felt odd. Carefully extracting his arm from under Donna, Jack left the living room and headed upstairs. Sitting down at the computer, Jack typed, Are you there? Yes, Jack. I'm actually always here. I've been waiting for you to come back. That pizza delivery boy. Quite the specimen, isn't he? Jack looked quizzically at the screen. The seer continued. He's a horrible employee. He was hired only three days ago, and already Mr. Riago wants to fire him. But as a physical specimen, he is strong, fast, and very observant. For example, he noticed that you didn't lock the front door after he delivered your pizza. What? Jack said aloud as he started to get up. Sit down, Jack. I need to tell you something important. And locking the door now won't change your situation. Jack slowly took his seat again at the computer, looking behind himself as he did so. You see, Jack, it's true that I never lied to you. Everything I've ever told you is 100% honest. But yes, I've withheld certain facts. You see, I told you that every task causes something bad to happen to someone else and something good to happen to you. But there's a third thing. There's an ultimate goal that each task was working toward. Remember, Allie? Of course you do. What you probably don't remember about her is that she was helping to pay her brother's way to college. When she died, 
he had to drop out. He was going to be a great psychologist. But now, he works in a factory instead. That's really too bad for our pizza delivery boy. He could have used a good therapist a few years ago. But that good therapist wasn't there for him. Instead, he got some freedom quack. And remember our lottery winner? Yes, you do. He was a neighbor to our pizza boy, after he lost all his money, of course. He beat the boy senseless, after the boy jumped into the street in front of his car. Quite a traumatic memory for our young lad. And his mother didn't care about that incident, didn't protect the boy at all. She couldn't, not after using all the drugs given to her by her boyfriend, who happened to be one of the mothers who robbed that insurance agent. He bought the drugs with the money he made from the robbery. Do you see now the scope of my artistry? Jack sat glaring at the monitor. He wanted to get up to check on Donna, but he was too scared to move. The seer continued. Jack, you've done over a hundred tasks for me, and each one has served an ultimate purpose to psychologically destroy this boy, turn him into a monster, and to bring him here tonight. Don't you see, Jack? This involved tens of thousands of people and billions of possibilities. If you had failed to complete even one of these tasks, the whole chain would have collapsed. This was orchestrated by me and set in motion by you. Together, we've done something wonderful. This is a masterpiece of human manipulation. Our masterpiece. And it all begins and ends with you. Two perfect points in time. Tonight, wrong address, no tip. This poor boy finally snapped. He's downstairs right now. He's slitting Donna's throat at this exact moment. Jack could hear a short, muffled scream coming from the living room, followed by a gurgling noise. No! Jack screamed and stood up, starting to run downstairs. Jack, stop. The voice startled Jack. It was inside his head. For the first time, the seer was talking to him directly. It was a pleasant voice, a feminine voice. You can't do anything. She's already gone. He'll be coming for you shortly, and you can't stop him. But why? Jack cried, with tears welling up in his eyes. It's not an artistic masterpiece if it does not begin and end with you, Jack. Her voice was soothing. I want you to appreciate the fact that I'm talking to you directly. This requires all of my energy, and as a result, I'll have to rest for several years before I can contact anyone again. That's how special you are to me. Please, don't feel bad about this, Jack. I want you to take a moment and enjoy our accomplishment as much as I do. The voice paused briefly 
and then continued. Do you know what, Jack? If I had never contacted you, you would have lived for 85 years. 85 boring, meaningless, and bitter years. And when you died, nobody would have been at your funeral. I gave you 12 great, meaningful years. You were happy, and together we did something beautiful, something unique. Jack paused a moment and considered his 12 years of happiness and his tears of sorrow mixed with tears of joy. He turned and looked at the computer, while behind him, the massive hulk of the demented delivery boy appeared in the doorway, a bloody knife in his left hand. On the screen, the last words from the seer appeared. Don't you have something to say to me, Jack? Jack wiped his tears and absorbed everything the seer had just told him. As the hulk started stepping closer to him, Jack mouthed his final words. Thank you. Ha 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 ha